Hey there, this is Santi, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm super excited to present to you Michael. He's a PhD on philosophy. He has dug super deep into Stoic philosophy. So we cover topics from like our belief systems. What does it mean to be a, a real Stoic? How to live with virtue? What is the difference between vice and virtue? We even touch a bit on religion, what the Stoics believed regarding God. We we went really deep into a lot of topics. It's probably the most I learned from a single conversation. He knows way too much, and I was super grateful to have this amazing opportunity to talk to him. Uh, this is going to be split into two parts, so next week there's going to be part two. Um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. I cannot hype this enough. Trust me on this one. I think you'll, you'll really get a lot of value out of this conversation with him. Michael is amazing. Again, super grateful to have him on the show. And without any further ado, hope you enjoy it. Okay, so I'm here with Michael Trumbly. Yeah, right? Hi, how are <laughs> yeah. you, Sandy? How are you, man? So, I mean, I'm going to just give you a few seconds to basically introduce yourself, just whatever you want to say, and then we'll dig deeper into all the good stuff. Yeah, great. So, um, my name is Michael Tremblay. I'm a PhD student at Queen's University um, in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I study Stoicism. Specifically, I like to talk, I talk about uh, moral education and Stoicism. So, this question of how do we cultivate virtue or how do the Stoics think we should cultivate virtue and transform ourselves into being better people. Specifically in that right now, I'm looking at Epictetus, who is a Roman period Stoic. I'm looking at his pedagogical program, so his teaching program. Um, that's what that's what interests me. Um, yeah, and that's what brings me here. <laughs> right, no, awesome. I mean, and I was very curious because I, I've been looking at your work and I'm super interested in everything you say. And I always wonder, like, you know, what what determines someone's interest in philosophy? Like uh, for you, it's, it's academic, but it's practical as well. Um, what what got you into mostly the practical side of philosophy? Yeah, great. So, I mean, like etymologically, uh, philosophy is just philosophia, right? So philo is, is love, sophia is wisdom. So etymologically, and Plato emphasizes this a lot, it's uh, just someone who, who wants to know, right? right. Someone who wants, who, who's interested in the truth. Um, and sets the truth as a priority in their life, or, or at least the pursuit of truth. Mm -hmm. um, and taking that broad of a definition, I think most people are philosophers. I think without, perhaps without even realizing it, most, most people are philosophers. And then it becomes a question of how central it is or how essential it is to your life. And so from, for some people, that becomes the essential project. Uh, for me, it was one of these things where um, and, and one of the reasons why I'm interested in exposing and talking about philosophy is I always was interested in philosophy and I didn't realize it, right? Like you'd read a book or I'd watch a movie and I, and I would want to talk about the theme or the idea or the philosophy of it. Um, and you know, some people might not be interested and they just be like, oh, that was just a cool movie or, or whatever, which is, which is fine. But I, I would be interested on, on, on that angle. And what I didn't realize was I was interested in the philosophy of the movie. I was interested, what's the main idea? Um, and then... When I got to university, I, I, I was doing psychology and it was the same thing. I was I was liking psychology, but I, I wanted to abstract a couple steps out. I was like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to do experiments. I want to talk about, you know, like what is what is a mind? And like, how can we how can we even do experiments until we have these kind of conceptual groundworks in, in place? And that was just me wanting to do philosophy of mind instead of psychology. And uh, eventually I took uh, some electives in philosophy. And I was like, oh, this is, this is what I want to do. And so, so that was, that was it. And I mean, I think I always kind of had a disposition for it, but um, like I said, I think that, most people are interested in philosophy in some sort. And the nice thing about philosophy is you can do philosophy of anything, right? So no matter what you're interested in, you're interested in sports, you're interested in cars, you're interested in, in nature, you're interested in politics. If you abstract out to a level where you want to understand how those things work, not at a particular level, but at a more general level, you're doing, you're doing philosophy. Um, so, so yeah, I think that I think that everybody has a little bit of that in them, and if 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 it's the part that really gets them going, then I think that's when they're they're more of a philosopher in general. Right. Yeah. No, that, that that's super interesting because like for me, uh, I really resonate with the film kind of things, right? Like you see a movie and you try to understand what is behind it and what's going on. Like I studied filmmaking, and I think that was my main interest, like what was going on behind. And then I realized 
I fell out of love of everything regarding the, you know, the actual making. I mean, I love making like my, my own things and recording and capturing the essence of things. But more than that, I'm interested in the philosophical side of things. And, and that for me was kind of, you know, another journey of trying to understand what is it that I'm really interested in. So, I mean, I, you know, like we have a bit of different backgrounds in that, in that regarding that but like for you what is the main difference between you know the academic side of philosophy and the practice inside of philosophy hmm. well i mean this is something that epictetus hits on very specifically right so epictetus talks about the practicals the sorry the academic side of philosophy is a tool hmm. um this isn't the way all people view it right so i view philosophy um when i when i I talked about that as the pursuit of truth. What I want that is the pursuit of truth and knowledge about how to live. That's what interests me because I think, um, you know, I have a life and whenever I'm making decisions, I'm making decisions about how to live that life. So what what is essential for any person navigating this world is, is to have a personal philosophy or definition of how to live and, and try to be working towards that. That for me is the, is the most essential question and everything else comes secondary after that. A lot of people pursue philosophy because they're interested in the pursuit of truth of the way the world is um, and or the the nature of understanding and the mind. And I, these qu questions are interested, interesting, but these questions for me are supplements to the question of how to live. I want to know the way the mind works because it will tell me about how to live. I want to know um, how we can know what's true and what's false because it will help me navigate life. Um, so for me, because that's the main goal, Academic philosophy is a tool to achieve that goal. Um, and Epictetus lived in an era, right? Because academic philosophy was beginning with Plato's Academy 400, 500 years before Epictetus, at least in the Western tradition, right? So I'm talking about Western philosophy here because that's what I know about. Um, and uh, so Epictetus lives, lives in a tradition where he's teaching people texts. He's teaching people um, to read Chrysippus, to read the founders of, of Stoicism who wrote hundreds of years ago. And he's engaging with students that are reading those texts. So it's a very similar context to what we have now with this divide between academic and practical philosophy. But Epictetus was a practical philosopher. So he would um, criticize and chastise his students who would not understand um, that this academic, these academic texts were a tool. So he would he would so people would for example they would show off how much of chrysippus they knew or how much of the original sources they had read and he gives these he gives all these amazing analogies that i love he talks about them as as, as like workout weights and he's like he's like if i come to you and i want to see your progress he's like don't show me your weight collection he's like i don't care about all the weights you have he's like show me what your weights are supposed to produce show me your muscle you know demonstrate to me your capacity to engage with rude people without getting upset um or to be kind to other people. Show me what these tools are supposed to build in you. He uses that analogy also with um, medical equipment. And the important point here is that tools can be misused or tools can be grow rusty and, and, and be wasted. So just because someone has fancy medical equipment doesn't mean they're a good doctor, right? There's also kind of a practical knowledge about how to appropriately apply those tools um, given the specific illness in front of them. So just because you've read a lot of stoicism or you've done a lot of academic philosophy doesn't mean you're a good stoic. You need to have a, a capacity to apply those well in particular situations. So I look at academic philosophy as the refinement of my tools. Um, and there's some people who only want to do that. And I'm very grateful for those people because those people give me better tools, hmm. right? Like there's a ton of value to that. Um, that's just not what, that's just not for me the, the end goal. The end goal for me is to get these tools so that I can use them, so that I can build my muscle um, and, and transform myself. Um, so, so that's the difference. I think that's, that's something that Epictetus hit on. And I think that's a, it's a, that's a helpful analogy and metaphor to work with. Right. Yeah. No, perfect. I mean, and, and you know, like what you said about the, the weights, it's kind of like the amount of books that you have in your bookshelf don't mean anything unless you truly understand what's going on there. It's not even like you say about, I read everything. It's like, do you understand it? Can you apply it all? So mm -hmm. in that in that sense, like um, what I mean, first, like, you know, I think there's a lot of people who are interested in either self-help, self-improvement. I do believe and I think you will agree that philosophy goes deeper. 
um, or at least, you know, I almost do this kind of diagram where you have the, the whole thing of self-help, everything that regards that, and then you have philosophy on the other side, and very few self-help books are part of philosophy, I believe, and I believe there, like in the middle, you can find something that is maybe quite modern and easy to understand for people, but is also very deeply philosophical. What do you think about that? Yeah, so I mean, I have a strong opinion about this. So like anything can be done poorly, right? Yeah. So yeah. you can have terrible philosophy or like terrible things that like come off as philosophy. Yeah. Um, and you can have terrible self-help. And we want to acknowledge that yeah. from the start. And anything can be done poorly. Um, I think the difference for me, the distinction between self-help and philosophy is the philosophy is the pursuit of truth. And a philosopher has the deep commitment that truth will make their life better. Um, I don't think self-help necessarily has that. So, and this again, this is a, this is a generalization, mm -hmm. but I think, and I see this sometimes when I see some stoicism self-help, at least, or not, I don't yeah. want to use self-help pejoratively. When I see some, some use of stoicism that makes me sometimes uncomfortable. The point of stoicism for me, or the point of philosophy, is to understand the truth of the, the way the world is. Um, it's not to make you feel better. Mm. Understanding the truth will also make you feel better, <laughs> right? Yeah. Understanding the truth will also make you happier. But if, if we make the goal of feeling better, we run the risk of endorsing lies that make us feel better. Of, of becoming further from reality because it, it numbs the pain. It, it, it helps us in the short term. So when I see um, like what you're describing is like self-help that isn't doing philosophy, mm. what that sounds like to me is something that makes you feel better that isn't interested in the truth right. of the matter. Right. And for me, that, that could be right, but that could be dangerous. Mm. So for me, you want something that's self-help that intersects with philosophy. So something that helps you but is also interested in the truth. Right. Um, and for me, that's what we're interested in. Um, both because I think, I think ironically, it also has better long-term benefits for your happiness anyway. Like this was the Epicurean position. So the Epicureans, mm. I don't know how much people know about ancient philosophy here, but the Epicureans were a school that ran at the same time as Stoicism in ancient Greece. And their position was, the, the goal of life is to be happy. The goal of life is to feel as much pleasure as possible. It just so happens that having virtue is the best way to be pleasure, to feel pleasure. Like being a good person is the most pleasurable life. Hmm. So they, their goal was to feel good. They just thought you had to be a good person to feel good. Um, but I think if you just make the goal of feeling good, you, you can, um, you can, like I said, you can run that risk a of long-term pain, and B, of, of losing sight of, of, of the truth of the situation. Um, so so for, me, that's, for me, that's the risk. And for me, the intersection um, between philosophy and self-help, again, like I said, was when you're interested in the truth, that will make you better. And I think that that's what you, everybody should be doing. Oh, that, that's yeah. super good. I agree. I, I always try to phrase it in the sense of like, is it quick fix or is it a long term? thing that you're striving for. And I believe true philosophy, the way you describe it, is all about the long-term benefit and not just seeking instant gratification, happiness, pleasure all the time, but actually committing to something deeper, right? Um, and then you also mentioned, and from, from the, the material I read from everything you've done, which is, of course, impressive, I, I realize that you define beliefs and, and your belief system as something crucial to not only your improvement, but also as a reason of why you might not be progressing. Can you describe that briefly? Great. So, yeah. So, um, I, I'm quite, I, I, I really like stoicism right now. I consider myself like a practicing stoic. Um, I think there's like some flaws that need updating, but there's a modern stoicism movement that is, that is doing that. And it's something that like, you know, would have happened if stoicism continued to be prominent like because it was a, it was something that followed the truth and, and and adapted to evidence about the world um but basically the stoic position is the the, the goal of stoicism the the ideal state um is a life according with in accordance with nature which is as brad inwood puts it a life according in accordance with the facts so one in which um, your beliefs match up. It's, it's, it's knowledge. Your beliefs match up with the way the world is. And they thought this would produce the ideal state, which is eupathia, which is a lack of passions or um, inappropriate and really disturbing and harmful emotions. 
So the the Stoic the the reason they had that belief was the Stoics thought that all of our emotions are the result of our judgments. So emotions are cognitively based, they're intelligent. If I feel sad, it's because I think something, I've made a judgment that something bad has happened. If I'm angry, I've made a judgment that something bad has happened and somebody's responsible for it. Um, if I'm excited, it's because I think something good is going to happen. So all of these emotions are, um, my, are, are complex emotional and uh, our complex emotional life is the uh, result of our beliefs and our judgments. So the first step of progress as a Stoic, as Epictetus puts it, is to become very cautious about the kind of beliefs that we make and to introspect about the kind of beliefs we have made and give up on the the ones that we're not certain about. Um, So this is why beliefs are, beliefs for them, it's a very, intellectually knowledge-based account of progress. Um, Our emotional life, so someone like Plato or Aristotle looks at your emotional life, you're doing two different things. You're changing your beliefs and you're habituating your emotional life. You have two two parts of yourself. Um, For the Stoics, these are all combined into one, right? So our emotional life is determined by our beliefs. And likewise, if we're in a passionate state, if we're really angry, that's going to influence the kind of beliefs we make. So our beliefs are also, there's also a feedback loop from passions to beliefs. And, uh, but at the, at, at the core, when, when you strip away all the feeling, you just get a set of judgments. And progress and perfection, virtue, is just perfecting those judgments and correcting those judgments. Or at the very least, in the beginning, not making, limiting the, the wrong ones that you're making. Right. Yeah, and it's that whole concept yeah. of suspension of judgment, right? To to take a moment because we all have that uh, instinct, right? Like we, we have those moments of mm-hmm. like, this is the way I've always reacted. This is a bit of a human way to react to things. But then you just stop and you decide what you're going to make out of it, right? Yeah. And I, I just want to emphasize that point, like for people who perhaps don't study stoicism, like this is a counterintuitive point. And I think their theory of emotion is so valuable and so interesting. It's just this point that you're not fighting against yourself. You're not fighting against some irrational part of yourself. You don't, and, and taking accountability. It's not like, oh, I know I shouldn't do that, but like <laughs> my body just wants to do it. It's like, no, if, if you if you want, if your body, if you have the feeling that you want to do it, it's because there's a problem in your beliefs. You still right. value it in some way. Right. Um, and take accountability for that and, and, and introspect and, and correct those. Um, but yeah, for the Stoics, belief is everything. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's we are fundamentally rational decision-making beings, and um, the rest of our bodies and our experiences and our consciousness is governed by the kind of beliefs and judgments and perspectives we have. Yeah. So those are what we should perfect and and and, and um, address if we want to improve. Right. Right. Then I wanted to ask you, like, I've been curious about what is really the differentiation between values and beliefs? Yeah, so I mean, so off the top of my head, in terms of in terms of that statement, mm-hmm. a belief doesn't necessarily have a value judgment. So, okay, I'm going to get, can I get into some Stoic theory yeah, here? You're crazy, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so the Stoics thought that we had, so the way the Stoics explained about human minds being kind of similar is they thought we had inert preconceptions. So... The Stoics thought we were born as blank slates, um, which is a very famous philosophical theory. So they thought that we 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 had no beliefs when we were born. Okay, so everything, every belief or idea we have, we generate from experience. Um, so we don't have the you know we don't have the concept of something being harmful, and then you know we burn our hand, and then you know we we generate this concept from experience. Um, but we have preconceptions and what that means is we have um, certain innate dispositions to form certain kinds of concepts. Um, and one of the most important preconceptions that we have is we have preconceptions about value. Okay. So Epictetus is explicit about this. Once we've experienced some things that like feel good or feel bad or harmful, we generate these preconceptions and these preconceptions, because we have a disposition to form them are the same amongst all humans. So every human, thinks that the we should pers- if you pursue what is good, right? Choose what is good and, and and we want what is good, what we view as good. 
And every human wants to avoid what we think is bad. That's, that's, that, is, that is shared by all human beings. Um, and those are value preconceptions. Okay? So beliefs don't necessarily concern value. And the example they use is like an outstretching of a finger. So I have a belief that I'm extending my finger. Right. That's a belief that informs my worldview, that connects in, 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 in my matrix of, of self-conception, but there's no value there. It, it has no connection to emotion. Unless I'm a weird person who like, not a weird person, unless <laughs> like this really matters for some reason. Right. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, I'm dancing or something or like that kind of movement has value to me. But they're, they're beliefs that don't contain value. Mm. But the beliefs we want to really be careful about because the beliefs that will produce passions right. are the beliefs that concern value. Right. And so your question was, what is value? Right. Well, value um, is, is for the Stoic can be what is harmful or beneficial, but an easy way of thinking about it is values are beliefs that are relating to good or bad, are preconceptions of good or bad. Things that are worth pursuing, things that benefit or are worth pursuing or avoiding, things that benefit or harm our constitution. Um, and those are the things that have value. And you might think, well, that's not what I think value is. I think value is broader than that. Right. And the Stoics would say, well, you're, you're, you're wrong, right? <laughs> and that's, that's your problem is you think that if you think money is good, right. it's because you think money benefits your constitution. It benefits you as you essentially are. And it's worth pursuing in all instances. Um, and that's a mistake. And that's why we, we suffer um, in, in our pursuit of that. Um, so so we, might, we might extend the, this conception of value to something broader than that. Um, but that's because we, we don't have a good introspection of the way our preconception is actually working. Um, yeah, that was a lot of information. Is that was that helpful? Well, that was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I want to dig deeper yeah. a bit into this money concept because, I mean, it's something that I've been wondering a lot about. And, you know, I was trying to see how it works. Like you trace things down and you ask someone like, well, wh why are you making money? Or why, why do you work? Mm -hmm. And he's like, so I can make money. And then it goes deeper. Like, why do you have to make money so that I can pay rent? And it's like, why do you have to pay rent and so that I can live somewhere? Right? And then you go to the core of things and people don't really have a reason to make money, you know, beyond mm -hmm. existing. But why are you existing? So I see a lot of people without something they care about, without passion or without a driving force that motivates them. And I'm not saying money is not important, right? This is something I would love to do for a living full time, like interview amazing people like you and have conversations all day long. But uh there there you know like money will be able to support that and right now it's not something i do for money but i just want to try to understand like why why is it that people value money so much if they don't understand what's behind it yeah so the stoic position on this right is that money is a preferred indifferent right and what that means and i'm just going i'm just like i'm going to explain assuming people are are interested in philosophy and not familiar with stoicism so i'll just explain these concepts yeah so as a preferred indifference, it means that all things being equal, we should select it. So if you have the opportunity to do philosophy and, and make a living doing that, you should select that. But what it means is that it's a lower type of, not a lower type of value. Well, yeah, it's a, it, 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 it's a different type than the true good and true bad of virtue and vice. Right. So what that means is that you should never harm someone in the pursuit of money. You should never... Um, betray somebody or compromise um, an important part of your dignity or self-respect in the pursuit of these things. So what it means is that, you know, if you have the opportunity to do that while being a good person, mm. take that opportunity. But you shouldn't compromise being a good person for any preferred indifferent. Right. And, and that's an important clarification. Like the Stoics were engaged in political life. They were engaged in social life. They didn't advocate um, asceticism or like... Um, you know, giving up all possessions or anything like this. Right. It was just the important point was that these things are not more valuable than virtue. No amount of them will ever be more valuable than virtue. So if you compromise even the smallest part of virtue for the biggest part of them, you've made a mistake. Yeah. Um, and so, great. And now what you're talking about is this problem – I think that a lot of people have when they're not engaged in philosophy mm -hmm. and it's like, it's a normal problem, right? Because we're right. just, we're just not taught this when we're growing up is, um, 
Aristotle talks about this in the Nicomachean Ethics, right? He says, if you ask why long enough, yeah. you get down to the reason for everything, right? And the reason for everybody is happiness. Yeah. And so he asked for eudaimonia. So he, he and his question in Nicomachean Ethics is like, well, what the heck is that then? How do we get that? Um, but people kind of get in this rat race or, and I mean, I do it too. Everyone does it. Yeah. Like, it's not like, it's not like we're above it. Right. I'm sure we both, we both do the same yeah, thing. Definitely. But we get in this thing where we don't, we, we don't go far enough back mm. and um so what this person should do is is hopefully eventually when you ask this question they get to happiness they say well i want to live a good life mm -hmm. and then you ask the question well, what does a good life look like for you and if a good life looks like for them um just having money mm. you know even if everyone hates them even if they have like um even if they're a terrible person right. they're you'd probably disagree with them and they probably wouldn't agree with that anyway. <laughs> so we want to, we want to flesh out that concept more. So well, it's not having money. It's, it's doing meaningful work and you've just made the mistake that you think that you need money to do meaningful work right. or it's like being loved by other people and you've made the mistake that you think you need to be rich to have other people love you. Um, so there's some sort of value. There's some sort of judgment mix, mix up at the core. If you get deep enough, um is what is what someone like um aristotle um would say and it's something like what the stoics would say is the stoics is, it would say well you've just you've just confused you know you have this preconception oh i i, I want to get what's good right. you just you just made a mistake you think that money's what's good you think that money's what's what benefits you or you think what money gets you is what benefits you. You think what benefits you is being famous and, and being rich and, and having a, a big house and all these things um, and having even like security from, because a lot of people want to get money so they, they, they that security from not potentially being poor mm -hmm. or not potentially, you know, having these negative things. Sometimes money isn't even just this pursuit of positive. It's this avoidance of the negative. But then you're making a mistake that those things are really harmful to you, right? right? Or that you're making a mistake that you that you have control over that, because you can be wealthy and, and you you um you can't mitigate risk, all risk by that anyway, right? So if that was your standard, was that I'm only going to be happy if I have no risk of like being sick? Well, then guess what? You're never going to be happy, right? Because <laughs> you can get as rich as you want and you can still just have something happen. Um, so that's it. Is that there's. There's a, there's a judgment. The Stoics would say there's a judgment mistake. I mean, that doesn't have to be. We can we can we can think maybe that is the the route to happiness. Um, but the Stoics would think there's a judgment mistake, and they think that judgment mistake has come from misapplying the concept of good to the wrong object. It's been applied to wealth, reputation, um, even intelligence. And I think a lot of Stoics do this, applying it to intelligence. It's not intelligence. It's it's virtue. It's it's. Uh, and so misapplying the good to something else, then right. then where it deserves to be. That's crazy. And I, I can already hear the voices of people going like, okay, that all sounds good, Michael. And, and I agree, but you know, like I need money. And, and, yeah. and you know, like what then, I know people are wondering and, and I've wondered myself in that, like all of that issue, because I mean, I, I think I've been far enough into reading philosophy um, you know, like almost brainwashing myself with the truth, <laughs> uh, you know, but it's kind of like, you just never know, like, what is the right thing that you should do in, in that case, because we're all part of society and the Stoics always encourage us to, you know, like be part of society, be there, not try to, you know, either be monks or something like foreign from society. So what can we do to improve our relationship with our pursuit of money? Yeah, I mean, if I understand your question correctly, absolutely, you can apply it to a pre relationship. So, I mean, one way that you said, okay, that's fine, but I need money. One way to address that, and you know, I'm also, I also have a love of money. Like, I'm not. I just want to say that as like a peer. Like, I'm not above any of this. Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to do of, uh, of what Epictetus would say in this kind of situation, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, you do need money because you're deeply, deeply afraid, right, <laughs> of being poor. Right. And that's a that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. If if I'm afraid of heights, I'm gonna need to get down <laughs> off this tower. Right. But yeah, and and it's foolish to take someone who's afraid of heights and put them on the tower and be like, no, get over it. That's <laughs> foolish. Right. It's a it's a process, mm. and it's a process that we do slowly through you know exposure therapy in contemporary circumstances now. 
you so yeah you now need money because you now are like really afraid of being poor yeah. um or like not being able to do what you think constitutes a good life but that doesn't mean um you as you essentially are require that to live a good life and you can you can get to the point where you don't have access to to money or at least the amount of money that you have now and still be happy you can do that we know you can do that because people do that <laughs> there are people do that in the world people are very happy in much worse circumstances than either of us are in some of those people putting themselves in those situations intentionally um so we know human beings can do that so when you're saying if someone says that's fine i need it it's like well that's of course because you're just identifying the current level of progress that you're at right. which is a smart thing to do you should be honest about where you're at but that doesn't mean that that's a necessary condition of existence it doesn't mean you necessarily have to be like that yeah yeah and that's crazy and i think it goes back to to the way we communicate things through language like even in english is like i need to make a living and that that is the equivalent of making money So, you know, the way we speak, the, the things we say and the, the stories we tell to ourselves really have an impact on everything we believe, right? Well, yeah, these stories, because these stories are, these are our belief systems. And part of stoicism is introspection and making those belief systems explicit. But most people, I think, don't have explicit recognitions of their, of their beliefs um, or what they value. And I think if there's, if anyone's watching this podcast, I mean, most of these people are probably already interested and already engaging in this process, but I think mm -hmm. the most helpful exercise anyone can do, and it's not judgmental, it's descriptive, it's not prescript prescriptive. You can totally think stoicism is stupid and still do this exercise. Mm -hmm. Is just do that why, why question and get back to your essential value. Okay. I don't think many people's essential value is truly money. Mm -hmm. I think they need, they think they need money to get something else that's more essential. And then you pull it apart. You say, well, do I really need that to have those? Do I really need possessions or um, even even job security to have those other things? And you can find the examples of people that have those things that don't have um, uh, money. Or we're just using that as an example, but you can do it for any context. Mm -hmm. I think anybody can just do that. Do that like, you know, that five-year-old kid question. Just go, why, 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 why? And if you say, oh, I don't know, think about it. Yeah. And really have um have a life direction a life purpose um my daddy teaches he runs a jiu-jitsu school he's my coach mm -hmm. and he talks about this thing of like you know if you're you got to get sailing if you're sailing you can change direction but if you stay in the port <laughs> it's no good right so you, you're not you're never going to reach any destination um so develop a life philosophy when you, i think if you establish your why you now have a life philosophy and i would so much rather someone have a life philosophy that's like wrong or not even wrong but like going to change yeah. than not have one at all right. if you say you don't know you can't engage but if you say well you know that actually is what i value and how i structure my life is around making a living okay great but now we have the pieces in play and now mm. we can question them and examine them and change them So that's such a valuable exercise. It's such, such a valuable exercise. And that's right at the start of Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. And I think everyone should do that, any yeah. human being. So good. And then, you know, like for the visual representation, uh, Mark Manson talks about the, the onion of awareness, where you peel it yeah, long okay. enough that you start crying. So it goes deep enough <laughs> that it literally makes you cry because you just don't know. And you get existential and know. But I think we all have to peel that onion of awareness and just go deeper and deeper. And yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you like how, well, no, actually, before we move, we move on, like the money thing, I think a lot of people, you know, they're on board and I think you, you went deep enough to actually make them understand, but like, at least the way that, that represents in my life is kind of like, I just graduated from university. I just did a master's. I finished my dissertation and now, you know, everyone's looking for a job and everyone's trying to start their career doing internships like that. And just, you know, a bit more anecdotal, but like for me, I'm fully committed to what I'm doing here. I'm starting this YouTube channel where, you know, I want to add value and I want to spread stoicism and, and creativity and self-improvement. Um, and, you know, that for me means not, not going into a career. And that for me means working a, you know, a very normal job, probably boring, that doesn't drain me, that allows me to have the energy to do this and still, you know, be able to make, like, do, you know, like pay for rent and that kind of stuff. But I want to know, What do you think of that? Do you think that's a good solution? What would you recommend to people? 
Yeah, like, I mean, just what I was thinking when you were talking, because I really get cautious about being judgmental because, like, I don't yeah. I don't know people's lives. I don't know people's circumstances. Right. Um, we just use this as an easy example with money, but, you know, maybe somebody in your life is sick and you need money to yeah. support that person. And, like, there's, like, you know, there's a lot of, it's, it's complicated. Yeah, it is. But the point is that your life is going to be determined how you feel what you feel anxiety about, what you feel happiness about is going to be determined by mm. your beliefs. Be committed to something you really believe in, mm. okay? If you can't say why you're committed to something, then that's a problem because now your life is being, you're being pulled mm. by something you don't even know why you value or you don't even know why you want or why you're afraid of. Right. So whatever, however you choose to structure your life, just do it intentionally. Do it consciously and do it purposefully. And that requires that existential introspection. So this is the stoic picture is that if you value something, you are going to be pulled towards it. If you see an opportunity to make money, you are going to feel desire. If you see um, an opportunity to lose money, you are going to – it's going to freak you out. It's going to make you deeply afraid. Mm. Um, it's going to give you anxiety and stress. You, you are – um, a victim to these beliefs if you're not taking them into your own hands, okay? So take them into your own hands, construct the life you want to construct and be intentional about it. Um, I think the way you're living your life, I think that's exciting. I think, I think what it demonstrates is a value of knowledge um, and a value of spreading knowledge, which um, this on the stoic line is like, yeah, you're on the right track. You know, like we're, we're on the right track. Right. Um, but I, I understand that's not the track for everyone. Yeah. So like at, at, be intentional. What, because you're doing something weird, when I see weird people, like you're doing something weird, right? Mm. And I mean that like uh, in a positive sense. Right, right. When I see weird people, I just know they're being intentional, right? <laughs> you're, you're, you've thought about your value system and you've deviated because, um, that's a value system that you actually believe in and you've thought about. So for me, okay, wow, you're, you're already inspiring because you're already on that track and maybe this will change, you know, yeah. maybe you'll, you'll have a bunch of kids and you'd be like, man, I want to get a, I want to get a nine to five and right. be able to support them. But, but whatever you do now, it's, it's going to be intentional because you've already gone on that track of, of deciding for you the kind of life you want to live. And I think everybody should do that. And, and there's plenty of intentional lives that, um, or I don't know, or not like traveling the world and backpacking. Yeah. And you know, there's plenty of, there's plenty of intentional lives where people are choosing, you know, meaningful, engaging nine to five work and things like that. And I think that's awesome. As long as it's like purposeful and intentional. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, man. No, thank you for that. I appreciate it. And I, I mean, you know, like there's this quote by, uh, Anthony DeMello who talks about the idea of, if you see everyone else doing something, he's almost certain that it's probably wrong. Like he says <laughs> that because I, I don't know, like for me, the point I'm at, I am in life right now, I'm 23 and everyone, all of my friends are graduating, looking into these careers, uh, doing internships and, you know, and a few, very few of them, I've seen them doing it intentionally, but I think most yeah. of them, unfortunately, do it because that's what the crowd does and they follow well, the I would, crowd. I would agree. Yeah. So, you know, why why do we believe things so easily? Why why is it the default state to not question things? Yeah. Well, I mean, the stoic, so the stoic position here is that, I mean, it requires, requires self-reflection. Um, yeah. And self-reflection requires discipline and attention and it's hard. Yeah. So you're, we're, we're born into a society, obviously, mm -hmm. and the Stoics think we develop reason at 14. So by the, by the uh, age we're able to actually engage in like proper Stoicism, mm -hmm. we're already quite old. We've already internalized a lot of values. Mm -hmm. So we're sick, basically. <laughs> we're sick from a bad diet in our childhood, yeah. and then we can either keep that diet um, or we can change it. But the change requires work. Right. Because we are being pulled around by our passions. We're being pulled around by the emotional responses of our beliefs. Um, and that's, I mean, 
that's it. That's the developmental picture. And I, and I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. It requires, it requires severe, severe effort, attention, and focus. Um, and it also requires you to be weird, right? <laughs> and um, Plato has one of the most amazing distinctions. I really like it. Um, I don't know how familiar you are with Plato. Yeah, yeah, but in the, in the Republic, he gives a tripartite conception of the soul. It says there's three parts of the soul. There's the appetitive, the spiritual, and the intellectual. The appetitive is directed towards pleasure. Mm-hmm. The spiritual is directed towards honor, and the intellectual is directed towards the good, right? So those are the three parts of your soul. Okay, so you've been habituated to live a certain way, and now you want to break from it. Well, introspecting is not going to feel very good. Thinking mm-hmm. you might be wrong, thinking you wasted your life is not going to feel very good. Okay. So you're, and, and you're going to have to give up a lot of the things that you've been taught to want, want right? So there you have to battle against the appetitive part of your soul. People are going to think you're weird. People are going to think you're, you're stupid, you're making a mistake. Um, what are you doing giving up that, that job or, you know, not, not going into law school or, or whatever, uh, you know, your particular life looks like. So now you have to fight against the honor part of yourself. And you have to be solely directed by the part of yourself that's directed towards the good and directed towards truth. And in Plato's conception, I mean, some people are just born in that way. Um, and I think that that's, that's, doesn't give people enough credit. The Stoic conception is everyone has that capacity, that love for truth. We just need to work at it. But it's, but it's hard is yeah. the point. The point is that you have to give up those other two things that we've, we've really been taught to value. Um, oh, there's one other point I wanted to make there. Shoot. But yeah, I think that that – that I think is the, is the difficulty is you're giving up pleasure as you've been taught to understand it mm-hmm. and you're giving up honor. Oh, yes, here we go. There's a great Epictetus quote that really pumps me up. <laughs> right, um, right, and he's like, if you're doing something weird and everyone's like, hey, like you're a loser. Stop doing that. Like that's really weird. He's like, keep doing it because these people don't respect you. So if you stop doing it, you're not going to get to do the thing you like to do and they're not going to respect you. <laughs> but if you keep doing it, you're going to do the thing you like to do. And eventually these people will respect you. It'll be like, right. Oh, it was actually pretty cool that you had the guts to do that. They'll come yeah. around. So he's like, whatever you do, if people are disrespecting you when you've made, a, when you're living intentionally, don't fall for that. Okay. Because wow. these are people that, that aren't respecting you as you essentially are. So you, you won't get their respect by compromising. You'll just seem wishy washy and like someone who doesn't know how to live and you won't get to do what you want to do. So if you're living intentionally and you're being disrespected, as Epictetus says, like, keep going, keep going. And, and for me, whenever I feel uh, that conflict, that for me is like a really helpful quote. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love that, man. And, you know, like, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we have a lot of modern Stoics, uh, Massimo Pellucci, uh, all these guys who are writing amazing books. And, you know, every now and again, there's young people like us who we, we almost pretend like we are old as I'm. I, actually, you have a PhD, so it's like, <laughs> you know, like you <laughs> have credibility behind you. I'm just some guy in a desk with a laptop talking about this stuff. But it's it's that deliberate living, right? And and I believe everyone has a potential to do this. You know, like I find it easy to compare myself to someone who actually studies philosophy like you and be like, who am I? Like this has been an imposter. Like it's not like I, I'm learning these things academically, but everyone can do this, right? Everyone, yeah. I mean, I really, like, yeah, when you were saying that, I know you're just voicing a regular insecurity that people have and that I have, yeah. um, but it's just like it's wrong. Um, I just have a certain set of tools. Mm-hmm. They're not the only, t- that's all my academic training is giving me, yeah. a certain set of tools. A, they're not the only tools. Like, I don't know your life. You have a mm-hmm. whole set of tools that you have from your own interesting, uh, unique life. Everybody has a set of tools, right? And B, um, I'm just engaged in a process where I'm, I'm helping people sharpen those tools a little bit. Right. That doesn't mean you can't read and, and get those tools just as easily. Everybody has access to this and everybody can do this. Um, this is one of the most like the stoicism is the most egalitarian ancient Greek philosophy. Everybody qua rational being is fundamentally equal. Yeah, they were very pro women doing philosophy. Mm-hmm. because and which was you know might sound obvious to us but yeah. was progressive yeah. because they say women um are just as rational as men and have just the same capacity um 
so like everybody, everybody is, is, it might be perhaps more difficult for some people than others, but everybody has the capacity to do philosophy well. Um, and Evitis would think you're getting it entirely wrong if you're like, oh, that person's better than me because they have more, a bigger gym. They have a bigger weight set. Mm, it's like, that's just, that's just an excuse. I mean, at worst, it's an excuse. I mean, at worst, also, it's you're selling yourself short, right? right? You have enough with you to get a workout. I mean, he talks about this. He says, like, think about things in your life as wrestling partners, right? He says, because he talks about this if you're having a, a bad day or a bad year. He said, man, if you went into the wrestling gym and all the partners you could crush, you'd be mad at the coach. You'd be like, coach, give me some good partners. <laughs> and he says, why aren't you like that with God with the difficulty you have? If he gives you a difficulty, you'd be like, thank you for such a great wrestling partner. So you don't even need weights. You have wrestling partners. You have, you have shit going on in your life. Right. Um, so, you know, what do you need books for to practice your stoicism when you can practice your stoicism every day? <laughs> um, what do you need a PhD to practice your stoicism, right? The, the tools, you have the tools. Life is giving you the tools, right. you know? I just have a certain set of man-made tools. Mm. But, but and, and these authority sources have that... Um, but that doesn't prevent anybody from practicing and practicing at the highest level. Yeah. And that's, that to me is like super important that people understand that. Oh, I agree. And it's really good. And the fact that, you know, stoicism is just a word to put things together. But at the end of the day, you can call it whatever. Like it's, it's just a matter of being delivered, right? And then, you know, I've seen a lot of this thought and you see it a lot with people on Instagram or young people. I even saw this like in a, in a bio like quote thing on Instagram. It's like the quote, if you can call it a quote, it's kind of like, uh, you need to be young and stupid in order to be old and wise. And I'm like, oh, no, face. I'm like, people are actually believing that wisdom comes with age. And it's just not the case, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you get more tools with age. I think this metaphor yeah. is really helpful. Yeah. You, you know, you had a, if you were old, you had a lot of potential wrestling partners. Right. If you didn't wrestle them and you didn't use those opportunities... You know, that you're, when you're older, your body's actually going to be more atrophied. You're going to be more <laughs> stuck in, in your in your bad habits, right. in your false beliefs, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, knowledge comes with deliberate practice and attention, right? This is a point I wanted to talk about, which is huge in stoicism. Stoicism, like, for them, the core value is, is vigilance, as they use, but it's really attention. You have a certain amount of attention in your day, and where are you giving that attention? Yeah. Are you giving that attention to what really matters? Are you giving that attention to figuring out what really matters? Are you giving that attention to interpreting first impressions as they come to you, right? Where is that attention going? Or are you giving that attention to um, how to best achieve things you've already decided are valuable? Um, or how to best avoid things you've already decided are, are scary and should be avoided. And I think most people are doing the second thing. They're giving their attention. They're not questioning their value system and they're giving their attention to, okay, assuming this is good and bad because that's what society has told me, how do I best navigate what's good and bad? Um, and so this is just asks you to, that that attention is so valuable. Just take it a step back and take it a step back to, to not how do I navigate what's good and bad, but how do I evaluate that, at least when we're beginning in Stoics. Um, but everybody has that same access to their attention, right? That's just a skill set that has to be trained and practiced, but everybody has that. Um, but if you don't use it, it, it it's no value to you. Right. Um, so it's, it's like this untapped resource in, in many, many people, or not untapped, but just going to the wrong place. Yeah. Um, so if anything, again, without being prescriptive, because you said, I, I mean, I don't want to disagree with you because I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that, if I was getting your point, but you said, you know, call it whatever you want, just call it intentional living. And I, and I want to make this distinction that stoicism makes a claim. Stoicism mm. saying like, as a stoic, stoicism says, no, 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 there is a right way and a wrong way to live. Okay. The right way is in the pursuit of virtue and the avoidance of vice. Right. That's the, but I think going a step back, I would so much rather you be an Epicurean or just a, 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 a skeptic or a cynic or even a, a modern, you know, spiritual or anything. I think just like living intentionally, even even if I disagree with you, is so much better than, than the alternative. It's 10 times better than, right. than, than not. 
Whereas getting it right, I think is like matters, but matters so much less than engaging in that process. Right. Right. But I think what people do is they get into stoicism because it encourages that intentionality. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that's super valuable. But at the end of the day, I do want to I do want to put my foot down that you're not a stoic mm -hmm. unless you think the only good is virtue and the only bad is vice right. and it's fine you don't you don't have to be a stoic <laughs> um, you can be like I learned a lot from stoicism but I think they're kind of wacky on these points and that's probably honest right but I, I, I do want to clarify that they, they they do stake a claim in, in in this value they do they do make a claim about what is valuable right okay okay that's that's fascinating because I believe and I agree with you but the, the thing is kind of like People and the good thing about stoicism is that you can combine it with other beliefs that you might have in your life, either religious or or not. Would you agree with that? Okay, so I mean, yeah. I, I do have strong opinions about this. Um, Me too. But... <laughs> yeah, stoicism yeah. provides you a skill set and a tool set. Right. Okay. I think that skill set and that tool set can be applied with, it, with anything. So the dichotomy of control, for example, mm. this idea that there's some things that you have control over, there's some things that you don't. That's a helpful concept. It doesn't matter yeah, who you are. Exactly. You can be an athlete. You can be um, a politician. You can be a person. Um, you can be at the grocery store. That's a helpful concept. Yeah. That has nothing to do with the stoic opinion about what is actually valuable. Right. That is a that is a concept about the way the world is. Okay. This idea that our emotional lives are determined by our emotions. Or sorry, our emotional lives are determined by our beliefs and our judgments yeah. about what's valuable. That has nothing to do with what is or is not valuable. That is a helpful claim. And it's actually the part of stoicism that, that is most popular in contemporary philosophy. Mm. And is the part of stoicism that contemporary philosophers are actually like, oh, they, they actually probably got this right. Um, and contemporary um, neuroscience uh, corroborates this as well, at least from the philosophy that I've read that says that. Mm. Um, so the, the, there's a set of tool sets here. And those can be used by anybody. Right. And should be used by anybody. And then there's this second part about the way the the way the um, like what actually is good and bad. And you cannot like you cannot be a Christian and a Stoic, for example. Mm -hmm. I think in terms of a, in terms of a, a hard like a big S Stoic. Yeah. Because you know what's good is not rational choice in accordance with nature and i mean i'm not christian but i assume what's good is like the love of god and mm -hmm. and, and christ and things like this um so these are these are just different these are there's a clash here and you and right. you, you have to acknowledge that clash yeah. um if you think that like aristotle for example i'm, I'm kind of leaning towards aristotle aristotle thinks mm -hmm. that virtue and vice is really important but external goods are also important a little bit so you know <laughs> if you're a good person but your entire family burns in a fire and then you're terribly tortured for the last 10 years of your life, yeah. Aristotle's going to say, sorry, you had a bad life huh. um, because your external situation was so terrible, it outweighed your virtue. Where the Stoics will disagree with that. The right, Stoics think, right. if you're making good choices, you had a good life. They make the famous claim that you can be happy on the torture rack, mm -hmm. right? That's a, that is what it means to be a Stoic. If you disagree with that, you are not um, a Stoic. You are someone who is incorporating a lot of the valuable lessons that they give you yeah which i think is which i think is great which i think is more than good enough i just think that clarification is important right. there's nothing wrong with being like i've learned a lot from stoicism i incorporate a lot of stoic teachings but i'm not a stoic because like you know i think it, it matters if my family members die Right. You know, no, yeah, and that's yeah. like a, that's a really legitimate <laughs> position to take, Definitely. but it's not a stoic position. Okay, right. right. Wow. Okay. No, that opened my mind a lot because I, I've heard a lot of this argument of what I said previously of uh, anyone can be a stoic and something else. But I think what I was even referring to that is kind of like using the tool set and believing yeah. in the other thing. But you're right because you do need to commit in order to be a full on stoic, which. I agree with you. I, I think we we're we're on the same place, and you know, like people do get offended easily about religion, and we I don't want to dig to 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 you know like go too deep into that. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's the same. Like I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not I'm not religious, and I and I practice Stoicism as a way of living. Although, you know, some people might be very hesitant about that, and and, and I want to see what you think about this. But like for me, I do believe in in God as as a creator, or as as, as something who 
created life. But I believe Stoics with the logos kind of describe that as a as a something that connects. I don't know. I don't even know how to how to phrase it. But you know, would would you say the idea of believing in a god goes against Stoicism? Oh no, of course not. The right. Stoics all believed in God. Yeah. So there's 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 just a but the problem is there's just a it depends on what you think of as God, right? Mm -hmm. So some Christians wouldn't think of this God as God. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for in, in the Stoics are, um, oh, I think pantheists. I don't want to get the, the, yeah, yeah. the wrong term. But I think pantheists. So pan is in all, theo is in yeah. the Greek word for God. Yeah, so everything is God. So they think there's two things. There's an, there's a passive principle and there's an active principle. Mm -hmm. So the passive principle is kind of like inert matter, but mm -hmm. it doesn't actually exist. Nothing is just passive. And then the active principle is like reason that creates form and structure and movement and reason embodies everything. Okay. Um, and that reason that, that is, that is God. That's the divine. Yeah. Okay. And it embodies everything in a, in a different um, consistency. Mm -hmm. So the consistency, but like, for example, there's, there's reason in a rock. That's yeah. what makes the rock not just dissolve, right. keeps its form from that reason. Um, from that structure, from that divine active principle. Yeah. Um, and then um, there's reason of a different, of a higher form um, in plants and then a higher form in animals. And then in the highest form in humans, in our capacity to choose and reason, the, the form we have there is the highest possible form of reason. We're equivalent to God in that aspect. Um, so in that way, we, we really have the divine in us in a profound sense. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's, that's deeply religious. That's a, that's like, that's yeah. required. That's, but it's, it's not an anthropomorphic Christian God. Right. Um, right. Because, you know, it would be like, God is quite literally in me in the stoic <laughs> conception. Yeah. Um, not metaphorically. Right. Yeah. Um, and that is a, uh, yeah, that's a, that's an intense position to take. Right. Um, but, but it's just relating, relating God to the universe. And one thing with them too, that might be interesting for some people is they're, they're, um, they're materialists. Like they think everything is, mm -hmm. is matter sort. Right. So there's not this distinction between, um, the divine and, and the physical, right. right. Um, what is divine is just, um, like like our active like our minds our souls are just a very very fine um type of matter but it but it's all it's all physical it's kind of cool yeah. <laughs> no that's impressive man i mean and i think you know there's just a lot to consider there and it's a lot for people to actually process but the the whole idea of you know like god being something that is is around us and is part of us it's yeah, it's a stoic way of thinking. And, and to be honest, like, yeah, personally, like a week ago, I was talking to a Christian and a very open-minded, very, you know, like uh, receptive about this idea as Christian. And I was telling him, I do believe in God, but I do believe it's a bit of a more indifferent God. It's not like I can ask him things and he's going to grant me things. I have to work for everything. And, and I actually have this tattoo, which is ex nihilo nihil fit. Out of nothing, nothing comes. If you don't mm -hmm. do something, it won't happen cause and effect, right? All, all these basic things. Um, and yeah, for him, it was very different. Like this kind of relationship you have with God is, is external. And I, in that sense, I believe that Christian God is a bit more external than the Stoic one. Yeah, well, it's it's, it's transcendent. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What it means by transcendent is, is it's separate. Metaphysical. Yeah, it's metaphysical. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not, God created the world. God yeah. is not, not the world or mm. even part of the yeah, world right. god transcends the world right in in a christian and i i'm i'm, I'm talking a bit out of my expertise here with yeah, Christianity. Too, that's my too. understanding <laughs> but I, but i'm pretty sure it's transcendental god mm -hmm. um yeah and trans just means across right so transcendent it's just it, it's across it's in a different it's in a different zone yeah it's 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 not in this world yeah um and I mean, that's the point of something like, well, not the point, but that's the significance of something like a figure like Christ is yeah. Christ is in, a, in, I guess, the, the part of God that 
was embodied and, and entered the world. Right. But that was a very special event, mm. right? Like that was a very special, uh, special thing for Christianity. It's not a common occurrence, right. right? So for someone to say like in the Stoicism, like, oh, there's a, you know, the part of your mind is just as fine and divine as, as, as God is. Yeah. Um, right. Like even in Christianity, we have this con, there's this concept of, uh, like original sin and, we're always working in Christianity from this position of we're flawed and we're fighting against our flawed nature. Right. Um, where Stoicism's the opposite. We're, we're divine. We're, we're perfect. And we just, we just, when we were growing up, we got sick. Huh. We, we, and we, and we're just trying to cure ourselves and get back to our actual nature. Yeah. Where in Christianity, you're not getting to your actual nature. Your actual nature is, as a, is as a, 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 a sinning being, a being with sin. Right. Um, I mean, again, I'm, I'm outside of my comfort zone here, so I might I, – I, I apologize if I get this wrong mm-hmm. um, to anybody who knows more about Christian theology than, than me. But that seems like a s- substantial difference. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean – but I mean there's there's plus and minuses to both of those perspectives. I mean I'm sure there's people there's people who feel – who would relate more closely to the Christian perception who feel like they're battling against something, who feel more like they're battling against sin um, and feel like that's, a, that's an essential part of themselves that they have to always, you know – repent for and fight against and and i'm sure there's a lot of people that relate to that self-understanding i relate to the more understanding uh the, the more stoic perspe- perspective of you know i just have some false judgments yeah. and if i correct those i'll, I'll be okay yeah. um yeah but it but it, it i think that, yeah, there's value to both but they're very different they're very very different right, right. um i think that um I think that they can be similar in terms of a um, life in accordance with mm-hmm. the divine, right? Right. Mm-hmm. In accordance with the will of the divine, right? Right. Is the end goal of Stoicism, which is also the end. Well, not, maybe, not, maybe not the end goal of Christianity, but a big part of Christianity is like, what is God's will? How can I live in accordance with that and do right by God's will and God's plan? Um, in God's purpose. And that, that is huge in, in Stoicism, but just God happens to be, um, the world. Right. So how do I not, I don't want me myself to be in contrast with the world. Um, whereas Christianity is about, well, at least part of it is about trying to see past the world, transcend to, or like see that, that will of the divine and then act in accordance with it. Yeah. But, but there, but there's a similarity there for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, like, yeah, we kind of went over a big tangent on religion. And, yeah, I mean, I want to make clear that this is not uh, not an attack on religion by any sort. And uh, the, the whole idea of, you know, Tony the Mello, which is someone I really look up to, he says, and he's religious, but he teaches awareness in a way that I believe is very stoic. And he says, religion simply is another form of, you know, like, it's the same as materialism, it's the same as money, if you're not questioning and if you're not being aware and with that being said, he says religion can be a really powerful thing if you're aware of it and it's something you choose. So, you know, if, if we right now, whoever's listening to this right now, like if we made you question your beliefs, that is probably for the best because you will be closer to the truth. And that could be within your religion or within something else. Well, I think that like, I mean, it depends on what part of Christianity, what tradition you're in, but like doubt and faith yeah. are fundamental parts of christianity and the part of christianity that i relate to the most is doubt is that like the more doubt you have the stronger your faith and and the way that means is like the more you've engaged and questioned and like potentially been pushed off the path um because you you thought you know maybe this is wrong maybe this isn't the case or maybe i don't agree with these teachings the more doubt you had the stronger that faith becomes if you can navigate it, right? And and, and right. so I don't see doubt as being antithetical to Christianity. I mean, at least I, I like the fact that it emphasizes that, yeah. at least certain parts of it does, emphasizes the, the value or the, the essential nature of doubt to religious experience, right. the essential nature of intentionality and questioning. Because that's what I see doubt as. I see doubt as intentionality. Right. Because not having doubt is just is just accepting and not not engaging but i think you know again i don't know as much about christianity but i i do really like parts of it 
I think we're flawed, imperfect beings is the conception. Mm -hmm. So like you can't engage critically and actively with a conception of God <laughs> without having some kind of doubt because your mind just can't understand it, <laughs> right. Right? right? So of course you're going to have doubt if you start actually thinking about it. Yeah. And of course you're going to have problems if you start actually being intentional. And, and, and I mean, I, I guess the Christian answer would be that's just because you're, you're flawed yeah. and you can't grasp it perfectly. But that's not – that doesn't mean you're, you're failing. Um, that means you're doing the process. You're engaging honestly. Um, that's, that's the way I look at it. All right. So actually you might realize that there wasn't much of a conclusion because our conversation ended up being <laughs> way longer than expected. So this was part one. Uh, next week, there's going to be part two of this conversation. Of course, it's going to elaborate more on the things that we discussed this week. So, yeah, of course, if you got to this point, you already listened to part one. So hope you're looking forward for next week. And next Thursday, I'm going to be uploading it. So, yeah, excited to see you then. Um, but until then, if you want to contact Michael, ask him any questions or just check out anything that he's up to right now, go to tremblemichael.com, uh, which I'll put in the show notes, of course. And yeah, I'm just, again, super grateful for Michael for dedicating so much of his time and wisdom into sharing all of this. I, I was taking a lot of notes from the things he said, and I think I think there's just so much value in, in, in the work he's doing. So again, I'm super grateful. If you want to check the show notes, uh, go to santiyanger.com slash 38, uh, where there's a compilation of all the show notes as well as the timestamps. So if you want to skip to any specific topic, um, that you might want to revisit later, you can go there and you can check everything. So yeah, I really hope you enjoyed it. I'm really excited to uh, to have you here next week for part two. And yeah, feel free to message me as well if you want to if you want to reach out. Um, my contact information is in the show notes or in my website. So yeah, I'll leave it I'll leave it in the in the show notes. Either way, hope you have an amazing week and we'll talk soon. Memento mori. Bye.